broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That over there is Carlin. And that is Jordan. And today we are going to be discussing one of Carlin's selections. Yes, the film Roger Dodger, which I kind of enjoyed, and um, Jordan is kind of pissed at me for for choosing. (laughs) I'm not pissed at you for choosing it. I I think you have every right to choose whatever movie you want to watch. You just weren't a huge fan. I was not, I was, I do not share your enthusiasm for Roger Dodger. Got it. Well, we will uh, potentially have a throwdown, a a large debate over this topic. All right. But first, before we do that, let's just go ahead and jump right into the Netflix summary, because I have a feeling that we're going to be talking a lot about this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, this movie is about... A cynical advertising copywriter tries to teach his teenage nephew the art of manipulating women, but his seemingly foolproof methods unravel. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And this was actually written and directed by the same guy, Dylan Kidd. Um, and this was his very first, his very first work in in um, movie land. Um, other works that he's done since then include P.S., Peep Show, and something called Get a Job. Not familiar with any of them. Not familiar with any of them. So, obviously he's really hitting up the, the spotlight there with his, <laughs> his movies. Um, this, this 2002 release really did wonders for him. It apparently. did. It did. Um, well, this, this film actually seems to, to polarize people. You, either they love it or they hate it. So, it's interesting that that you loved it and I didn't. So, um, it has it has a pretty good cast to it. Um, Campbell Scott stars as the the dude Roger, um, and he's done. First off, Campbell Scott is a fantastic actor. He's yeah. done a lot of great roles. Um, some some of which not so great. Some of them great. Um, the Amazing Spider Man. He's only in it for a little bit, but I enjoy what he does in that one um, because it's a comic book movie. Um, but he's also been in Duma. And he was in the horror movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, And he was also in Phoebe in Wonderland. Uh, We also have uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Mm -hmm. Awesome actor. Yeah. um, Jesse Eisenberg is a guy who does a great job of picking movies that fit his strengths. Yes. And this, it's important to point out, this is his first movie role. Yes, it is. Roger Dodger. How old was he when he when he actually made this? I wonder. I don't know. That's a good question. But he's playing a character that's sixteen, and he it looked appropriate. Yes, so. it did. It, it did. Um, and other roles that he's done. Um, he's most famous. Well, he and he was most famous for Zombieland for a long time. Also, the Social Network. Well, I was going to say that Social Network kind of blew Zombieland yeah. out of the water. Yeah. Um, because that that movie it, that movie actually deserved all the praise that it got. Cause I it thought was, it was very good. It was a very good movie. I actually wasn't huge on Zombieland. I think really? it's overhyped. Uh, I think it's I think it's funny. I think the reason I liked it, Bill was, Murray, was because it had Bill Murray dying <laughs> in it. Well, the Bill Murray portion is very very good. The rest yeah. of the movie, I, yeah. it's unremarkable in my opinion. I, well, the thing the thing about Zombieland is I I, I can't stand Bill Murray. Oh really? No. What? Yeah, I, I can't. I don't like the movie at all. Um, 
Yeah, see, this is... That's terrible. No, this is where we get divisive. But um, my favorite part about it was that he was Bill Murray, playing Bill Murray, and he gets his head blown off. So that made me so happy. You're a terrible person. (laughs) I hate you now. (laughs) Well, this has been Carlin and George's most excellent movie night. Thanks for listening to our last episode. They're not going to be anymore. (laughs) Um, but also Jesse Eisenberg, um, he's done some voice work too, uh, including the fairly popular movie Rio that came out a few years ago. I think they're actually working on Rio 2 right now, or it might have just come out. I'm not 100% uh, sure. I saw trailers for it, so yeah, it might be out, or close to being out. Close to release. Um, those were the two guys in the movie. Uh, there were also two two ladies who, who participated in the cast for a good portion of the movie. Uh, the first one being Elizabeth Berkley. Yeah, Jesse Spano. Yes. From Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell. And Stripper from Striptease. Yeah. She's also been in The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which Did I have never know. heard of. And know. also the sequel to Donnie Darko, S. Darko. Oh, that sounds bad. It, I, From what I understand, it was pretty panned. <laughs> <laughs> and then also the movie had... Um, Jennifer Beals in it as well, and she's been in a bunch of interesting things. Uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, which you can't go wrong with that title. Um, and then she's also been in Runaway Jury and The Book of Eli. Did you ever see The Book of Eli? I've seen snippets of it, and I want to see. It. I, I do want to see it. It looked interesting. It's, I've heard it's actually not so hot. It's unremarkable. Yeah. Um, I, I, Most I was, movies are. I was very surprised when when someone's like, "Yeah, that." Book of Eli movie is really good. And I'm like, okay, I like this person. I'll go sit down and watch it. I'm like, ah, I don't like this movie. You got me. Yeah. So, so, Carlin, why don't you tell us (laughs) what you liked about Roger Dodger? Okay. Roger Dodger is a film that's very dialogue driven. It is. And I really like dialogue driven films if it actually has something to say. If you're exploring something with the dialogue as opposed to just having people stupidly talk. And I felt like um, the character of Roger uh, done by Campbell Scott very well. Um, he was a compelling character in the sense that he was kind of a jerk. and but, but he was like a know-it-all jerk who actually knew some legitimate things. Or at least throws out a lot of interesting relationship advice that can be used for really, really good debate, Yes, in my opinion. And that's what basically happens is it creates conversation within the film, and it creates a lot of conversation. Um, so that's what I really found awesome about the film. Um, but then it also just got me thinking about a lot of things that I was able to write down, and I'm sure we'll touch on okay. uh, throughout the course of this. Um, but I will say I know one of your biggest problems because you texted me while you were watching it was the shaky camera work is oh. really, really, really bad. Oh. Um, I agree with that. It is very tough to watch it um, because there are times where it's like really shaky and it's large amounts of time. Well, you know, I, I don't have a problem with a little hinkiness in the camera work every once in a while especially I think it can do a good job of creating like a sense of agitation that the yeah. characters are feeling certainly but with this movie it's for no reason there, it's for no reason and also um, I guess they're trying to be artsy 
but uh, there's a lot of shots that are supposed to be on someone's face, and there's like a tree branch that's covering half of their face, or a door <laughs> that's in the way, or you know, someone is standing in front of them, and you can only see like like one eye of this character that's supposed to be in focus. Yeah, and a lot of the film is dark. Yes. Like, very dark, so you can't really see what's going on. Yes. But that's why it's good that it's dialogue-driven, you know? Because you don't really... You actually don't really need to see much. Uh, this could actually work really well as an audio drama. Yeah, um, definitely. And I'm, I'm a good fan of... I'm a big fan of audio drama. It's probably my number one medium to actually enjoy storytelling. So, But what I will say about the shaky camera work is... I personally have something called a central tremor, where my hands shake constantly... Mm-hmm. So therefore, I can never do something like camera work. So whoever did the camera work for this, maybe they have the same issue. You should just know that if that's the case, don't be a cameraman. Yeah, yeah. Or purchase a dolly. Yeah, uh, uh, steady cam. Heard a, of it? Yeah, a tripod that would be great too. Um, there, there, there are. There's a, some things that I really like about the movie. Um, well, I'm glad it wasn't a total stinker for you. That's good. Yeah. The what I what I really liked about the movie was the um the atmosphere of a lot of the movie. Um especially in the first third of the movie, a lot of the atmosphere takes places place in clubs and lounges. Yeah. And I love the vibe of cl- clubs and lounges. Yeah, it's the, a very the, the music, fun the, party. Yeah, atmosphere. exactly. You know, and the idea of sitting around a table with friends and ordering nice drinks and just enjoying each other's company and, and having an inter- interesting conversation I'm 100% there and I love this is this is a horrible confession but I love lounge music okay. like like the like the like the um, like piano bass drums trio or guitar bass drums trio for like a jazz setup for like bebop or is like one of my favorite things to listen to. So do you enjoy the the music of Richard Cheese? I have not been exposed to the oh, music of Richard okay. Cheese. Okay, well after this podcast I am going to introduce you to Richard Cheese. Okay. 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 But I mean I just like I I, I enjoy stuff like um, Michael Bublé and um, Jamie uh, Jane what's his Oliver. Not Jamie Oliver. Um, <laughs> no, he's a chef. Uh, Jamie uh, Lannister. Yes, him. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody with a golden hand has my automatic vote of approval. Um, but Jamie Cullum, he's a British guy who plays piano, and he he does some interesting covers. Like he, um, he and he does some interesting, um, like pop jazz piano stuff. And um, Madeline Perot and Melody Gardot, these are all artists that I listen to all the time who have that kind of lounge feel to them. And so that I really enjoyed about the movie. Um, it also, I, I liked the, um, the advertising aspect of the movie that he worked in advertising because I think Roger was a very good advertiser. Yeah. Advertising himself. He was a horrible human being. Yeah. (laughs) But, but he was very good at understanding the basic wants and needs of people. Well, one of the great things in my opinion in the beginning of the film is it starts off with a conversation about... Um, the utility of men in relationships, basically. And it's it's actually not much of a conversation. It's pretty much just Roger telling It's things. a monologue. Yeah, it, it's him saying things to his coworkers about how, you know, men need to make sure that they keep themselves um, as an actual as- asset in a relationship because evolutionary evolutionarily uh, they're moving towards 
not being needed at all because, you know, men aren't needed for sexual pleasure for women. And we're actually coming to a point in technology that they're going to find a way so that, that you don't even need sperm to procreate. Um, so that's kind of his whole argument. But what was so great about that is here he is spouting off all this, what sounds like very intelligent stuff, and he's captivating a group. Yeah. So you get a very strong sense immediately of the type of person he is. He's very pompous, and you can tell that. He's very well-spoken, mm-hmm. and he's he's the center of attention all the time. He's very charismatic. Yes. He, he has developed a cult of personality, which will allow him to say pretty much anything to anybody and get away with it. And honestly, that's that's a theme within any type of film dealing with how do you land a woman? You know, how do you have a relationship? How do you yes. get a person at, at the bar to leave with you to Essentially, be interested? any romantic comedy has this aspect to it. Pretty much. But, but I, I would say, as a side note, for anyone who did enjoy Roger Dodger, um, if you want to look into another film that that has more humor to it and looks at the relationship aspect of things and how to talk to people and stuff like that. Uh, Swingers, the film Swingers with um, John Favreau and uh, Vince Vaughn is a very good one for that. I mean, th- I, I think to me, the, the idea that Roger is promulgating is the philosophy of the pickup artist scene. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess my, my essential problem with the movie, and this is, the, this is something that I just cannot reconcile in my mind is the idea of using somebody as a basic commodity and then just throwing them away. Yes, but that's not the point of the film. Like, the point of the film isn't to be like, that's a good thing because the person dispensing that knowledge is not a good person and and that's very well showcased in the film. You know, here's a guy who preaches about, you know, this is how you start a relationship, this is how you get women, yet he can't hold down a relationship, and that's well shown in the film, but he also has no relationship with his own family. Right. And, you know, all those things are very, very prominent in the film, so it's basically saying, you know, here's all this information, It's, it's basically up for debate. Yes. And it's interesting. Yes. And it is, and it starts a lot of conversation. I guarantee there are a lot of instances where groups of people watch this movie and it starts a big discussion yeah. a big debate about the validity of what's been said right but i mean the thing is though that even throughout the movie he's he's taking his young nephew um and what was the nephew's name in the nick nick yeah, yeah he's taking nick and and nick has essentially decided that he he's he's the nice guy yeah. nick is the nice guy he's the kid who who wants to date the pretty girls but he's never going to because he's not a type A personality. He's not someone who's going to just automatically walk into a room and control the crowd. Right. So he's come, he's run away from home to to seek out Uncle Roger, who he knows is that kind of person, so that he can sit at the feet of the master and learn how to be a pickup artist. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that the, the great thing is, Nick is a very likable character. At least from my standpoint. I agree. Uh, no, he is. He's, he's very likable. He's great because he's like wearing a bracelet t- that tells people how to 
to to preserve his body if he dies because he wants to be cryogenically frozen. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, which is hilarious. And and the first scene of him in the movie is him just standing in his in his uncle's cubicle, you know, just like zoned out. Yeah. And Roger walks in and goes, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm meditating." Yeah. Well, the thing about his character is he's he's a typical awkward teenager. So he's a very endearing character because he he's a, he's one that people are familiar with yes. and always find endearing to some degree. Yeah. Um yeah. So one thing that that was a nice little uh easter egg in the film for for someone like Jordan is that uh there is a woman in it uh who shows up briefly Morena Baccarin. Morena Baccarin, yes. Who plays Inara in Firefly. Firefly, um, I don't know if I've ever lauded Firefly on the podcast. Yes, you have. I I have. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty, I, 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 I pretty much sing the praises of Firefly everywhere I go. It's, it's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I saw her, um, very minor part. She's this, like, lady in a bar. Yeah. And I saw her and I was just like, is that... Inara? And I had to look on IMDb, and I was like, "Yeah." Oh yeah, cool. I, I was watching it, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that that that's that's the best part about the the movie." Um, <laughs> oh, I also did forget to add in that um, the person who plays Roger's boss that he has a romantic relationship with is um, uh, Isabella Rossellini, and she was in Blue Velvet, and Blue Velvet was such a good film. Um, David Lynch, love David Lynch. Yeah, David Lynch. We need more David Lynch stuff on Netflix so we can review it. Because, yeah. I mean, there's Twin Peaks, but we don't do TV shows. So, yeah, maybe we'll make an exception and do like a whole Twin Peaks two-week special or something like that. We'd have to work hard on that. Oh, one. my gosh. <laughs> um, but, but um, I, I mean, I think, I think the thing is that what, what I found in the, in the movie was that it wasn't really told... From Nick's perspective, correct. It was totally it was told, told from, from Roger's right. perspective. Yeah, and because he's he's the master. I mean, right? Okay, it kind of is told from Nick's perspective in the sense that he's just going to be to listen. Yes. So as the audience, you are pretty much the whole time just listening to Roger spout off the knowledge that he has about picking up women. Yes. So it kind of is from Nick's perspective for that reason. It's what he he is experiencing from experiencing. from from that perspective. It is from Nick's per, Nick's idea, but Roger interferes with Nick's perception so much. Like whenever Nick is trying to process what he's being told and to determine whether or not it's something that he can accept, Roger just moves on to the next point. Yeah, because. Well, consider the fact that when Nick first showed up, he was just kind of like, I don't want you here. Exactly. You know, Yo, he's, he's actually just trying to get rid of Nick. Yeah, there, there's that aspect to it, but then there's also the aspect of, okay, you recognize I'm the master, you came for my help, so right. I'm going to give you the information, so let's do this. Yeah. Um, one of the crazy things to me, well, not crazy, but it, it was interesting foreshadowing, is, you know, in the very beginning, Roger's telling the story about men trying to make sure that they don't become obsolete in relationships. Yet, the next thing that basically happens is he becomes obsolete in the relationship he was having with his boss. Yeah, yeah. The thing the thing was, he was he was very much uh, the kept boy. 
And he yeah. even referred to himself as the boy. Yeah, he tried to get into her apartment complex at one point, and the security guard stopped him. And he's like, I'm her boy! Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like, look, she's my girlfriend or anything, which he's is... like, I'm a plaything. Right. I, I, I'm the plaything, and I'm more than happy to be the plaything. I think there are enough moments in this film to show that Roger is a wreck yes. when it comes to what he's trying to teach. So... The whole film really is about, here is this perspective of the typical pickup artist male perspective, which is counterpointed at times by female perspective that's spouted off by some of the characters, mainly Elizabeth Berkley's and who was the other actress? Um, the other actress was uh, Jennifer Beals. Jennifer Beals. Okay, so mainly by them. But also... Uh, there's some added by Isabella Rossellini's character. Yes. So you get those, and then you also get the processes, uh, some of the processing that's done by Nick himself. So you are getting two sides of an idea, and then it's kind of left up to you as the viewer to see what you think about it. Um, the thing that I like about it so much is that it creates thought. It makes you think. And I think the dialogue is very well written as well. Yeah. That's another thing. Very strong uh, script. In the, in that sense, so you, have you have you read um, the book by Neil Strauss called The Game? No, it's is it the source material for the movie The Game with Michael Douglas? I don't know if it is or not. Um, this book is essentially um, the memoirs of a New York Times writer um, who thought he could just do like a short term story about the pickup artist community. And um, he actually met someone who was considered to be one of the masters. And he went on the, these, um, these training exercises and everything like that, and wound up becoming the number two pickup artist in the country. <laughs> you know, so he's, he's spending all of this time surrounded by beautiful women and having a, pretty much as much of what Roger is looking for in the movie, mindless sex, you know, without any kind of attachments. And towards the end of the book, you know, he realizes that his life is just a wreck, you know, because he is, he is like, set, he, he had originally been a nerdy guy who <coughs> was not into, who wasn't able to really communicate with woman, women. His first few attempts at dating had ended poorly. And he, and he has turned into, you know, someone who, who just treats women as a good time. You know, and that's something that he looks back at at the end of the book. And he says, look, this is not, what I was doing here was, was really not a good thing. You know, and, it, and I, when I read the book, I got a sense that he was very much um, a little bit ashamed of what he was doing in, cre in helping create that culture. Right. But in this movie with Roger, like you said, they're presenting two sides of an idea, like, like a more forward, not forward thinking, and like forward thinking and in terms of progressive thinking, but forward thinking as in, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be very open about the fact that I just plan to use people and then just discard them. Right. You know, you have that perspective. And then you have the perspective that um, that Eisen, that Nick presents um, when he talks about, you know, the, the idea about meeting a woman is coming to know her 
without the makeup, without like the extra that they're trying to do to impress men, you know, and living with one for living with a woman for enough time to truly understand who her soul is, you know. So you have those two things, and that's great. But at the end of the movie, Nick's gone back to his school, and um, Roger comes, hangs out at the school, gives like pickup tips to 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 Roger's friends, um, and then ro- walks out and pulls a trick on the hottest girl in the in the cafeteria, yes. sends her over to Nick's table. So it looks, and the way that the movie ends, it looks like. Nick has decided to accept his uncle's path. Right. You, you know, so the, that's a little disheartening right there, whereas you have the, the book, the game, saying, well, this is something that was... Um, it was fun, it was meaningless, but it was unsatisfactory, and I think I did a lot of harm with it. And then you have Roger, who's who seems like he's okay with you know the problems that he's created, and he's moving on with his life... But he's not yet learned that this destructive behavior is going to lead to to more sorrow in his life later on. Right. So what I'm getting is you're not really liking the story because it leaves the the hero of the story basically going on a bad path. It does leave the the hero going on a bad path, and it also shows little emotional, little to no emotional growth for the right. the person who's supposed to be the mentor character. But the thing is, I would argue that this this is pretty close to true to life, uh, and that being, and, and also making the argument that Nick was the same the whole time. Uh, he didn't change either. No, not not because, really. Because he was always lusting after the hot girl. lusting after someone, not yes. in love, not actually like a legitimate interest past the looks. Because they even talk about it, and they're like, this girl's the hottest girl. I want to be with this girl. Why? Just because of her looks. And that's what but that, but that's Roger what, is doing yeah. as well. That's more, of, that's more of, of Nick's friends, though. More than Nick. Because Nick is, seems to be a little bit more quiet. He wants to be that guy, but he doesn't know how to be that guy. And it also causes him a lot of cognitive dissonance when he tries to be that guy. So, you know, the best thing that he can do in the bar is just openly admit how his mom is a wino. Yeah. You know, because he doesn't, he can't reconcile in his mind how to put the best foot forward to, to say empty things to a girl just to, so she jumps into bed with him. And the thing is, that's normal yeah. for, for someone of that age. So this is very true to life because you, there you have the pickup artist and they've been through so many experiences in their life. You know, how old is Roger's character? He's mid to late 30s, probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's been through a lot. I'm early 30s. I've been through a lot relationship-wise. And I look back at when I was 16, and I knew absolutely nothing. You know, at 16, I I think I'd only kissed a girl before, and like once, maybe. So I look at this film, and I see the different stages of my life, in a sense. I'm not like Roger and never have been like Roger, did I try to be at some point? Certainly. Oh, yeah. Has every guy tried to be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I like this film, because it's true to life. You know, you say that you don't really like the story because of where it leaves things off, but it's true. Because how many guys, when they're 16 years old, are going to try to figure out how to be the pickup artist and try to go down that path and not make 
the connection in their brain, there's more to it than just scoring. There's more to it than just going out with the hot chick. Right. Pretty much nobody. The thing is, you have to mature because your brain doesn't actually even mature until you're 21. Right. That's which when is your why that's the stops. legal drinking yeah. age. Um, but I would argue that you, you can't even become really an adult or cognitively truly figure things out until you're in your 30s. Yeah. And that's how I truly feel about it right now. I didn't feel like I really got myself and really knew my own personality until I was 32. Yeah. Um, which I'm currently 32, uh, but close to being 33. So... You know that that's my argument about it, and <clears throat> I think it's a it is a common story, and it's just being thrown out there to show. Okay, well, what happens if you know this pickup artist at the age of thirty something that has all this knowledge, you know, dispenses that knowledge to the sixteen year old who's who all sixteen year old males are looking for this knowledge. Yes. yes, and you know there 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 is there is certain. There is certain value in the pick art artist community's um, motivation to get guys to actually communicate with women because guys are horrible at talking to anybody. Typically, yeah, yeah. you know, and ju- just in general, unless they're talking about their gun or their sports <laughs> or cars or cars. Yeah, you know, they're you know, unless you're well. And this is the thing: um, when I was in college, I had to take communication theory classes, and. Um, because I was a mass comm major, you had to know how to communicate with people. Makes and, sense. And um, so this this class was actually pretty formative to my, my philosophy in the world and everything. Um, and one of the studies that we did was gender dialect. You know, because you have to understand that men and women fundamentally communicate on a different level. You know, whereas men communicate to report information to each other. Like, oh yeah... My boat is 30 feet long and it's got a really nice outboard propeller, says uh, Charlie Allnut. <laughs> Whereas a woman would say, I feel like this boat is a great asset because we can use it to blow up the Queen Louisa. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm just totally making something up off of the African Queen that we just talked right. about. But women talk about, they use, they use language to build a rapport with each other, whereas men use language to communicate information to each other. Correct. You know, so the the one thing that I will say that is positive about the pickup artist community, and unfortunately Roger misses this point completely, because he only uses language to report information. His ideas about what a relationship would be. Right. Rather than build the rapport, which, amazingly enough, Nick is fabulous at doing once he actually opens his mouth and is willing to say something he can make some amazing observations that would that actually knock the grown women's shoes off when he actually says that and that all comes from being open and honest yeah yeah which, which is something that women value but i will also say that this is something that women value on a friendship level because the, these women are not threatened at all by him because oh, he no. is sixteen years old. Yeah, and the idea of that a sixteen year old and his and his thirty something uncle have this bet to yeah. that he can make a someone fall in love with him for a thousand dollars. Exactly. So the thing is, the situation is different. It is very different. You know, if if Nick wasn't a sixteen year old and he was twenty something or thirty something, 
it would be extremely different the way the women would act towards him. Right. They would act the same way that they act towards Roger and call him an ass. Right. Well, the thing is that they they even if he's this even if he is the same person as sixteen year old Nick is right. my point. The, the thing is that they see Nick as non-threatening, and they exactly. see him as a, a sweet little teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cute that he's trying to be grown up. Yeah. You know, uh, when in reality, what he's learning how to do is to be a predator. No, well, kind of. But I will say there is some validity to the fact that in order to get your foot in the door with someone that you could actually have a relationship with, mm-hmm. you there are certain games that you kind of have to play. Oh, yeah. And it's... That's true, and that and this movie does point that out, um, but it lays out all these rules. The kind of the problem is it lays out rules, and a lot of the movies that are kind of like this do that. But everything's kind of a case by case basis. You actually just need to understand human beings, their motivations, what they like. You know, every situation is going to be different, and when you talk to a different person, try to. Get your foot in the door. It's going to be different every time. I mean, it, you have to be able to adapt. Our friendship was based off of the idea that we like Dungeons and Dragons. Right. You know, so, you know, you came up to me and you said, hey, I noticed you have some, like, really nerdy wallpapers on your computer at work. Are you a fan of Dungeons and Dragons? And I'm like, why, well, yes, I am. So pretty much our friendship was based off of that. We were communicating about something that we had in common. Whereas um, for... If you listen to Bone Thrower's Theater, one of my oldest friends on that show is Stephanie. And Stephanie and I I struck up our conversation when she lived in Idaho. And I posted um, a cartoon about Idaho potatoes onto my blog. And she was randomly surfing blogs on on the social network, came across it, and sent me a message saying, you're funny. You know, so you, you have to find ways that, that speak to people to be able to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. And you have to find out what that person connects to in terms of what, what the language is that you're trying to use to make them like you and make, you, make them understand what right. you're trying to say. But there is validity to <clears throat> the idea that there are games that you kind of have to play if you want to get your foot in the door with someone. Yes. Um, because... Admit it, people are very... Shallow? Shallow, yeah. People yeah. are very shallow, especially with their initial impressions of someone that they meet. Um, it's always that way. Mm-hmm. So in order to pique someone's interest, you need to be interesting. You can't just necessarily be yourself. You need to open the door somehow. Right. And that's just fact. You know, you can't just go up to someone and talk to them about something that they have no interest in, and you know that. And it, that's not going to do anything. You know, you were saying about how I came up, I'm like, oh, you like Dungeons & Dragons. It's something that I knew that we would have an interest because I saw that you had on your computer screen a wallpaper that was very fantasy-based and looked like Dungeons & Dragons. I think it was like a whole, like a bunch of parties fighting, a bunch of people fighting skeletons or right. something like that. Versus if I had come up to you at that point and talk, started trying to talk to you about craft beer, because at that point, I don't think you were even open to that. I mean, I had, I had actually, uh, at that point, I was more interested in wines than I was beer. Yeah, but so, if I came I mean, up and I, but you I wouldn't, just, you wouldn't have known that off. Exactly, it, it wouldn't. We probably wouldn't be sitting here. Right, probably not. And that's my point: is you always need something, and there are. It's unfortunate, but there are these stupid little games that people have to play in order to open the door to see if there's potential for a relationship, whatever that relationship's going to be. Right. Friendship, romance. Bromance, bromance, enemies, whatever. Frenemies. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, the the thing though is that 
the question that I have that, that arises from that is, are people trying to be shallow or are they trying to be self-protective? Because, because I see, you know, if, if you don't have something to engage with a person, then if somebody just walks up to you and tries to start a conversation, even if it's someone who, you, like, we knew each other from work because we had seen each other taking walks and passing each other in the hallway and everything. Right. You know, so, I mean, we could have just struck up a conversation about the office, no problem. You know, was, oh man, did you did you hear that new thing about how long the breaks have to be, or you know something like that? And that could have been enough to build build a bridge and would have been a safe contract, uh, safe conversation starter. But you know, y- you went with something that was outside of the workplace in in terms of trying to engage my attention, and you were doing something that um, was trying to get my my defenses down. Because, I mean, we had wor- worked together for about a year before we even talked about Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. I'm just saying that there, people put up defenses against other people because we're naturally fearful individuals. Well, I don't think it's necessarily so much of that as it is people don't care. I, I think that most people in life feel like they're fine with where they are and who, who is in their life. So they don't understand what they could be missing out on. And that's the same thing with the relationship, with romantic relationships. People don't understand what they're missing out on or, you know, what they potentially could check out. So that's one of the things that I'm trying to kind of get across is you do have to have a good conversation piece, you know, pique someone's interest. Yeah. And, you know, most people do make up a a decision very quickly whether or not they're going to put you in a category. Right. You know, are they going to put you in a friend category? Are they going to put you in a potentially romantic interest category? It's very, it's a very quick thing and it's based on the first, the way you act, body language, and also the way you speak to them and what you're saying to them. Right. You know, if you come up and you say something creepy, yeah, they're immediately going to be like, uh, don't want any involvement with this person on any level. Yeah. If you come up and say something funny, most likely they're going to say, oh, I kind of want to be this person's friend yeah if you walk up and say something interesting about yourself that makes a woman think "Ooh, this person's kind of dangerous that's immediately going to be like oh they could be a love interest right because that's something they actually touch on in roger dodger which is the women say they want humor safe they they say they want humorous people and they say they want safe people exactly and they say that but that's actually not what they want they want a biker dude at the risk of pissing people off, I think that's totally accurate. 100% accurate. Well, okay, I can't say 100% because everybody's different. Everybody is But different. I would say the majority of women, that is correct. There are, I have met plenty who that's not the same. I feel like we ha- we should have Rebecca down here talking <laughs> about this with us. No, because I already she's my wife, so I already uh, well you I already you, landed you, her, you've so. already impressed her. But I <laughs> even when I, when you when I started coming over, I had to do a lot to. To make sure that, but know. let me let me tell you how I impressed her by not caring. <laughs> That's true. You did tell me that story. I impressed her by not giving shit. By oh, I'm sorry, I, I dropped it. We do have the explicit tag on this, do we not? Uh, every once in a while. We'll okay, it. got it. Uh, I yes, I impressed her by not caring about anything, and and that's the situation. It, she'll tell you if you ask her if she can pinpoint the exact moment that she decided she liked me was when we were out at a restaurant and. The reason I was so much, I, I need to give a tad bit of backstory. The reason I was so much into just not caring is because I had gotten out of a very bad relationship 
some years prior and was just in the mode of I'm going to be me, uh, hang out with my friends and just enjoy my life and not worry about relationships because I kind of don't care. I've been so jaded. Right. So when she came along, I was like, I could take it or leave it because I, I'm kind of want to be in a relationship because everyone does but at the same time I'm very happy being by myself so that was my attitude so at some point when we were dating this was I don't know like our maybe our fifth date or something I don't know at some point we were out to eat and I remember just saying hey you know I, I want to be 100% upfront with you and honest uh, sometimes I'm really into you and I'm really into this relationship and other times, I really just, I'm not, and I'm not feeling it, and I just kind of don't care. Uh, to which she responded, yeah, actually, I kind of feel the same way. And I was like, cool, so then there should we should just have no expectations, and whatever happens, happens, and right. it's cool. And she'll tell you to this day that, that that night, when I said that to her, basically, was when she realized she really liked me. And that speaks volumes, because when a man is finally like, I don't need you, that's when the women are interested. It's like, this is an interesting person, and if they act, act like they need you, they're going to be there. Yeah. So they can potentially be a safe bet. They can be a friend, and then they're there as a backup plan. Right. But the moment they're kind of like, I don't really need you, if you're actually, if you have some sort of interest, you have to do something about it, because you might lose them. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the thing. Um I, a lot of a lot of advice that that dating books will give you is that, you know, go out, get a hobby, you know, start start hanging out with friends, be more social, you know, and then when you find a relationship, then the 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 woman that you want to share your life with, and I'm speaking as a guy who's who's read, like books aimed at men more than women, but the books aimed at men tell you be interesting, don't just sit on the couch and, and play video games because. You know, who wants to be a part of that kind of life? Go out and do things and, and meet interesting people and have a hobby, you know, because if you do that, and then, then someone's going to want to be included in that life and they're going to want to be, you know, uh, they, they want to be a part of something that is fulfilling and um, not just something that is, like, just a flat line. Right. You know, and and so that's, that's one of the things that things that Roger does is he he doesn't really he doesn't really seem to, to be anything but a flat line. You know, he doesn't have any other hobbies outside of picking chicks up. Picking up chicks. Yeah. And and well, very classy chicks, but still chicks. <laughs> or or um writing advertising copy. He doesn't have anything else that he does. Right. And the, the thing that he says is that what you have to do is you have to find out what somebody else needs and then you have to to present yourself as the the fix-it for that, the fix the fixing solution for that need, which is, he, he says, is a, a, a something that he takes from advertising. And it's true. Because right. if you look at advertising, they're like, oh, my dishes are still scummy after I wash them. You know, and my mother judges me because of that. So it's time to get this new dishwashing detergent that won't be as scummy, and my mother will think that my dishes look clean. And that's something that's always used. That's something that I've seen to- advertising directed towards women is that they always try and guilt the women into thinking that they need to make their dishes, their house, 
their life better in some way when everybody's life can be improved, but not in the material things, the little things that really don't matter in life. Right. You know, I was sitting here thinking, and the thing about Roger, the character of Roger in this, is he has all the tools and an amazing ability to get the door open with women. Yes. But the problem is he does not have the ability to be interesting enough for anybody to want more than just a few nights of sex. Yes. And that's kind of a takeaway that people can have from this film is that you need to be a well-rounded individual. You need to understand how to get the ball rolling with starting a relationship with someone, but then you need to have substance to yourself. Yeah. And Roger truly has no substance. Right. He's all talk. And right. that's seen easily throughout the film in many occasions. Um, I think he's a typical self-loather. He's not comfortable with who he is. He doesn't love himself. So what does he do? He just goes out and does what he knows how to do is pick up women and have sex to make himself feel good about himself momentarily. And you know what? He's not even he's not even just picking up women, but it, it makes it pretty explicit that if he can't find somebody who will spend the night for them for free, he'll go down he'll go down to find to the local brothel. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, and and that you know that to me was like the lowest of the low point of yeah. uh, of the movie because it's like he's essentially throwing. Nick under the bus. But do realize that Nick asked for it. Yeah, Nick does ask, but he doesn't realize what he's asking for, which is... Yeah, because he's a 16-year-old. He's a 16-year-old so kid. He doesn't... That is when you need to say Roger's the grown-up here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that, to me, is probably the most damning thing about the movie. It's like, look, I, he, he could have said before that point, yes, I don't score all the time. Like I've been telling you I have. Because he, right. he told Nick very early in the movie that he he has a different woman in his bed every single night of the week. Which isn't accurate. Which is not accurate at all. Right. You know, and so then when he, you know, takes Nick to the brothel, and, and Nick has this hilarious line that, that Roger had given him earlier. Oh, I'm an actor. I'm studying for a role. What, what kind of role are you studying for in a, yeah. <laughs> in a, in a brothel? But um, he, he should have been the man at that point, you know, and he well, should he, he did late. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. He walks like, in and right, before like before Nick's gonna have sex, he grabs him and is just like, no, 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 this isn't right. Not right. doing it. Yeah. So he, he he's late to morality, but it does happen. Uh, one of the things I want to point out though is that at one point, at the end, yeah. um, Nick makes a comment quoting something that Roger had said. He's like, "But you say blah blah blah," and Roger says, "I say a lot of things." Yeah. That's a moment of him growing up briefly and saying. Look, I talk out my ass. Yes. You know, I, I don't do everything that I say that I do, and I don't know as much as I think that I know or that I make people think I know. So there is a little bit there is a little bit of, of growing up that, that Roger's character. But is does. it enough? Well, Nick doesn't change. You know, he, he doesn't grow up. None of the characters grow up in the film. And it's true to life. How often, in that small of a period of time, will people actually grow up? This thing is, though, it feels to me like when Roger stops by and visits Nick, Nick's home in Ohio, it feels like several months have passed. You know, yeah. Because I'm, I'm immediately when Nick gets home after running away, his his first deal is probably not going back to school. He's probably grounded for. But, but here's the thing: why is why is Roger there? Why didn't he just go go along his 
with his life the way it had been. Why is he there? Because he cares. Because he's reestablishing the relationship with his family. In a rather unhealthy way, though. But he's doing it, period. You know, that that's him changing. Like, he's actually developing. And who knows? Maybe, you know, if you catch up with the story years down the line, he's grown up even more. You know, it's it's showing the beginning of him starting to open up to the realities. I'm wondering, him. I'm wondering though, if this subject matter... <coughs> and I'm not saying that I have a problem with the subject matter of the movie. Because I think it's a very interesting conversation. I think we've had a, a really interesting discussion about it today but I, I wonder I think the movie the, the, the content would be better served by like a television show where you could stretch it out over 30 or 40 episodes potentially and you know show because I, I don't know I just I want to see I want these characters to be somebody that I can root for right um, and, and that's something that I can't necessarily do in every movie um, but it Still, if if I can see enough of character development in a movie, and enough of a positive message in the movie, I can get behind it no matter what it is, you know. Um, so I don't know. I I just I felt like the story fell flat for me, and I I think a lot of the stuff that you're bringing up is is very good and it's very um, very thought provoking, and the movie does a great job of that. Um, of course, like we said, the technical problems with the movie distract so much. <laughs> and, the, the shaky cam. The shaky work, cam. Yeah. And the, the absence of light a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it, it, like 98% of the movie is at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and walking around the streets at night, and they don't, they don't have a lighting crew in there to give you more light at all. It, it, the sh- it looks like it's shot on a shoestring. Shoestring. Shoestring budget. But, I mean, it probably was. Yeah, but it, I mean... I mean, this was Jesse Eisenberg's first role. From yeah. what I understand, the, and this is great, the um, the writer and director... Um, Dylan Kidd. Dylan Kidd. He actually, the way that he got, got the financing for the movie was he saw uh, Campbell Scott sitting at a restaurant in New York and walked up and said, hey, I have a movie idea. Cool. You know, so how how often does that happen? That yeah. that's really a Hollywood story right there. Um, some other things I want to talk about real quick. Uh, the idea of there actually being physical cues that people can look for to to gauge interest that yes. is true. It is very true. There have been a lot of studies done on that. Um, it has actually been found that when people are talking to someone that they like, that their pupils will dilate a bit. It's also been found that their um, lips will get redder and I wonder if that is kind of where the use of lipstick comes from. Yeah, it's supposed to be the afterglow of coitus. Oh, there you go. I'm, I'm glad that you knew that. Yes. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up was... Actually, I have it written down somewhere. Um, oh, yeah, the whole thing about the, the alpha male versus the... Um, the nice guy, the humorous guy. Yeah. I feel like that's very true, and there are some things that I want to point to in nature that backs that up, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, one being that um, they have found that within sperm, there there is actual sperm that not all of it swims towards the egg. Right. They found out that there is sperm there that's just supposed to fight other sperm. So the idea is there that women 
in in nature naturally would be receiving seed from multiple partners and therefore the sperm would then have to fight it out and the most dominant genetics would prevail um, supposedly so there is that it's pointing to a predisposition for women to basically look for an alpha male right um, the other thing is that I've seen it before that there are many women who like we were talking about want the bad guy yes. the dangerous person as opposed to the person who's safe and humorous because that person immediately gets put into the you know friend category it's like oh this person I want to hang out with this person they're funny they're cool but I want the dangerous person I have I because have, they're alpha male I have been manly. that person so many times it's not even I, funny me too yeah I mean well can I can I share something uh, a little science tidbit sure um Carlin A. Jordan's most sci- excellent science podcast. Um, there, uh, if you listen to the NPR show Radio Lab, I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic show that deals with science issues. And one of the things that they looked at was this concept of the alpha male and the nice guy. Oh, really? And the, and um, what they were, uh, it was, it was lions, I believe, that they were looking at. Um, they they found out. That, you know, when when there's always the alpha male in the pack and he was always the sire to the cubs, you know. And, um, but after a while, th- there'd be a younger alpha male that would come along and force that one out of the pack. So this older male would go to another pack and essentially take on the nice guy role of being the older male, not really a dominant guy and everything like that. But he would always treat the females very well. So after the dominant male was done... The, uh, the females would actually go to the nice guy and, and would actually, they would actually then mate at that point as well. So the nice guys were actually... Second string. They were second string, but they were getting <clears throat> a lot more action than the actual fir- alpha male was. Interesting. So that, that, that... It's like, I want you for genetics. Right. And I want you for comfort. Right, exactly. And it was, it was a weird... I had never heard that before, but it was really interesting. That is very interesting. Huh. I'm a little confused by that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I'm doing a horrible job of, of, of actually saying it. I should... No, no, that's fine. Uh, one of the other things I did want to say is about, if you just look at other species, yeah. you know, how often does the male have to do something flashy and showy? The birds. Birds in yeah. general. Well, also, there's a lot of fighting involved. The goats. Yeah. Bringing horns together. Stuff hitting each other's heads, you know, just fighting in general for the, the female. And it's ignorant, in my opinion, to think that on a subconscious level that humans don't fall into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because they do. They oh, definitely yeah. do. And I've seen it numerous times. And people who refuse it, you're lying to yourself. Because I'll admit straight up, who in my life I had typically been immediately attracted to was probably the worst person for For you yeah exactly it was pretty much all predicated on looks and sometimes on attitude and it wasn't about actual who this person is like substance so when i eventually got over that and i realized that and it took a lot of you know soul searching myself right to figure that out about myself to to realize God, I, I'm attracted to people I should not be in relationship with. And, and let's with. face it, guys are, are driven by the visuals. 
Yeah, but women are too. M- women are too. And that's Absolutely. the point. You know, women act like they're not, and right. everyone wants to say, and everyone, man or woman, wants to say that they're not. But your split second first reaction is that. Yes. It, the question is, do you have the faculties, do you have the ability to stop yourself for a second and correct it by doing what's more intelligent? Not when it comes to Nucky. <laughs> and that's the issue. That's what you get into. So, the, But the biggest problem is when people are trying to to get their foot in the door to just begin to see if a relationship could happen or a friendship could happen or whatever, there's a crucial first minute or so yeah. that if somebody doesn't stop themselves in that interaction from doing what's their subconscious coming through, it's going to get shut down. So if everyone would just take a minute to be open-minded about everything, because everyone has a preconceived notion of what's going on. You know, you go to a bar and you just kind of look around you, and you you make an assumption about the crowd there. You know, and, and the thing is, internet dating is great for the assumption. Yeah. You, because you, you can look at someone's profile and you're going to be like, nope, 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 yeah, nope, hot. Yeah, exactly. You know, and people are doing it based well, on looks, and, and, and that's the deal. I mean, a lot of a lot of dating profiles are set up where you can have this quick "hot or not" feature. You know, which and, was a website, hotornot.com. Yeah. I yeah. remember that in college, and I remember going on there and rating women. That is terrible. Well, things that you, that the, this podcast brings out in us that we admit from our deep our dark past. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and talk. Like final thoughts about the movie. Do you want me to lead it or? I'll go ahead and lead it. Yeah, you lead it because you're going to crap on it, and then I'll bring it back up. <sighs> I mean, I, I think the movie would have been served by a longer, longer runtime with more character development. Um, I would have liked to have seen um, Roger be more honest, you know, rather than being honest in the last 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, about you know who he is and trying to connect with people, I would have liked to see that more, and then you know have him like have some kind of comparison. I know I know that might not sound realistic, but a lot of times I find myself reflecting on things that I did when I was stupid and young and stupid and really <laughs> stupid. And you know, it's like, it's how a, stupid were you? I was very stupid. I'm still very <laughs> stupid. I'm a very unintelligent person, believe it or not. Yeah, right. Um. But, you know, I would have liked to see that, see some kind of moment in his life where he's like, I can be a better person, you know, and I don't have to rely on my need to dip my wick in whatever tallow comes along. To but feel. let's be honest, that's not many people do that. In no, life. no. The I'm... overwhelming majority of people in life walk through life thinking that they are fine the way they are and they never self-reflect. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm just the min- minority in that I, I bash myself con- continually. Yeah. But, I mean, still, I, I want to see characters who, who are a little bit more reflective and, 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 I, and thoughtful and everything like that. So, I mean, and also, um, like, I, I really liked this, the settings of, like, the, the bars and the atmosphere and everything. The parties were cool. Um, I love that kind of atmosphere and, and like the social aspect of that, but everything else, um, Roger, like giving his ex-girlfriend's next paramour advice on the mirror was a little excessive, especially because he was trying to hook Nick up with a date rape at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. 
That was pretty scummy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, one and a half stars. Okay. Uh, my thoughts on the film. Yes, the shaky camera was awful. Um, the lighting issues were quite bad. But on the positive side of things, the script writing I thought was good, uh, especially the dialogue. The, the dialogue was very clever. The I will give you that. dialogue was great. Um, I thought the acting was all good. Uh, the character of Roger was very captivating, very charming. Um, you recognize he was a bad person, but he had so many interesting things to say that you wanted to see more of him. Um, I also think that it was a interesting glimpse into something that people usually don't take time to stop and look at or think about or talk about. Yeah, the pickup artist scene, unless you're really heavily entrenched on it, you don't really think about it at all. Right. And this is a movie that probably has and will create a lot of conversation and thinking from people. So for all those reasons, I think it was a quite quite a good film. Obviously, it's not perfect or anything, but I'm going to give it three stars. Okay. Well, I really think that, like you said, the film is very great for starting conversations. Um, and we kind of took opposing viewpoints on this. And this is the first time we've really done that. Right. So I think that's actually pretty cool. That we've gone 20, almost 30 movies where we haven't really had too much of an argument about it. So, yeah. Well, you never know. It could happen again. Oh, it could happen again. And it might happen in the very near future. You never know. <laughs> yeah, it might. But uh, overall, that's a, what, two, two, two and point, a quarter two stars? Two and a quarter stars. Yeah, so, I mean, that honestly Almost is, halfway. Almost halfway. Two and a half to, stars would get you there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if three stars is liked it and two and a half, two and a half stars is, ah, this is kind of like, ah, ah, But I was at like it. Yeah, yeah, well, I Jordan mean, was at nah, nah, nah. 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 But, I mean, ah. Uh, so if you like me, then watch the film. If you like Jordan, then don't watch the film. And if you like both of us, then just watch then half wa of it. Then watch, then watch about a quarter of it. And then, <laughs> no, well, well, honestly, if you if you think that we're that we're barking up the wrong tree, or so, like if you think I'm wrong, if you think Carlin is, is is right, there's no there's no heads tails on this conversation. No one's a winner or a loser on this podcast. I mean, it's great just to openly share conversation and opinions. So send us um, an email. We do want to hear your opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, is that uh, most excellent movie night at gmail.com? Why, yes, Carlin, that is. I finally remembered it. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, so everyone send us some feedback. Uh, also, other requests for, for um, podcasts to do if you, if you have a particular movie you want us to watch and, and talk about. Uh, and we're down. If you are. Enjoying the podcast, if you like what we're doing, we would love to see some reviews on iTunes. Oh, yeah. You you would not believe how happy that would make us. That really helps people out as podcasters, honestly. It helps you become more visible, get more uh, listeners. Yes. You know, hopefully there there's never a, a, a part where we come to an impasse where we're like, it's going to be tough for us to carry this on, should we? Yeah. At that point, we need to make sure that we have you know enough listeners. So you have the power, listeners, to... Yeah. Give us the reviews, give us the star ratings, and send us feedback to let us know that you're out there and actually and, listening. And, and we're not saying that just because we like the popularity and we need you to, to feed our egos. We're saying that because we want to, we're trying to provide something that that is both entertaining and also thought-provoking. And, and we also don't want to just talk at you. We want no, to interact with you. we want with to interact you. with you. 
Um, I almost wish that we could somehow set up like a hotline or something where people could call, call in, leave leave us messages that we could respond to. Maybe in the future. We'll have to look into. But that we'll need those happen. ratings and reviews first. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining us for yet another episode of. Carl and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That has been Jordan. And that has been Carl. And thank you so much. You've been listening to Carl and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production.